Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Udon Cheek, assistant track and field coach at East Carolina University. You are plugged into the Sports Objective Podcast. If you are a fan, you are plugged into the right place. And if you're really a fan, you will share that link. My heart is purple and gold. I'm a pirate down to my soul. And I don't back down, not at all. Find out when the cannons explode. Boom! It's time now for the Sports Objective Podcast. No talking heads, just guys who love sports. Here's Dave Richmond. Welcome into the Sports Objective Podcast. I'm Dave Richmond, along from with Kyle from Green Squadron. How are you, man? What's going on, dude? How you doing Beautiful on weekend, Saturday, man? Yeah, I'm great, man. Going over the Chowan County Bridge. So, um, Chowan River Bridge, I should say. And uh, I know you know that very well, going to Easton and uh, having a good time. Yeah, it's been many years since I've been up that way, but uh, yeah, have a good time tonight, dude. It's vinyl night. Yeah, I love it. We'll give a shout out to DJ Eddie and Melissa too for you to check a chance uh, to eat in Bay Trading Company, and uh, they're very good to us. So I want to say hello to them, and uh, we're going to have some fun tonight there. They play nothing but, like it says, vinyl, so uh, definitely a different thing and a great thing for them. Uh, wanted to bring in Bubba Rosenbaum. How are you, man? Doing well, guys. We have a big show planned, talking uh, some baseball. But first, I want to talk a little football. On 16th year, play-by-play voice of the Carolina Panthers, Mick Mixon will join us. And then also in the second part of the show, Brett Boone. Two great guests and on one show, man. It's uh, going to be great. Speaking of great, gentlemen, can you? I just want to get your reaction. Uh, I didn't ask this on purpose when our pre-show. But how are your thoughts now with season tickets announced over 10,000? Whoever wants to go first. Yes, uh, the goal was 10,000 after they reset it because of COVID, and uh, we surpassed it. And uh, need to keep selling them. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, yeah. who knows how many people are going to be allowed in the stadium. But, uh, you know, you've already surpassed the goal. It would be nice um, to get to 12, 13, 14,000. That would be uh, fantastic. <laughs> that that yeah. would be phenomenal. Yeah, because last year, what, we finished at least 14, what, between yeah. 14 and 14 and a half, I want to say, something like that. Um, and then the previous year, it had been 12-8. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully we can get to where we were last year. And uh, who, who knows with the way the sales are going now. Um, things have been so hot. Uh, 10,044, that's the exact number as of, uh, I, I guess, Saturday, at least through the end of the day Friday, I'm because that was announced this morning uh, as we're recording this Saturday the 13th. So, yeah, I would imagine with priority deadline, and then I would imagine it'll slow up. Um, I think you'll see a second peak when when the official announcement comes with how many fans can be in the stands. Yeah, right. Um, but, That's uh, what I think. I think that there's two things. I think you're right on that, Kyle, and I think the other thing is the very, that very thing is that what we've talked about on the podcast the last week or two, you better order your tickets because what if they say the only people that allow allowed in are people that have season tickets? I mean, then all of a sudden people that normally go to the games are going to be lucky just to be tailgating in the parking lot. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's the main thing, but I wouldn't even be so surprised. I mean, I, I think the primary thing, like Kyle's mentioned, and the obvious as far as the the boost in sales was just the priority deadline looming. But uh, I think there probably are a handful, if not more, that um, maybe if they were on the fence, that pushed them off the fence and made them order the tickets because 
they've maybe listened to our show or just started thinking about it and how they could be at a premium. And also the guys are, are got guys back on practice, back on campus practicing now. Yeah, it's the reality is hitting that it's closer to time. And, and again, if you if you say you only have twelve thousand or you only have twenty five thousand, let's say they even I don't see how they have fifty. I was gonna tell you guys, I think that when Bubba was talking about twelve seven, it may start out where we can only have a small, you know, twenty five percent, and maybe by the time. We get to October of November. If there's not that second wave, like they're worried about, of uh, an outbreak with COVID, maybe we could go to to fifty percent capacity. Yeah. What, uh, That's what I'm hopeful for. Bubba, Bubba, did you say something about that uh, Ryan um, was speculating seventy five percent capacity? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he said. Um, I, now that may have just been strictly wishful thinking on on his part, or. I don't know. I think he's just speaking for himself, maybe the administration, but um, that may be strictly wishful thinking, um, not necessarily inside knowledge. But it, it, nonetheless, it was good to hear um, just giving us some hope that, hey, maybe it will be more than 25 because obviously 75% would be right, right around 37 or 38,000. And uh, we, haven't, we, we haven't had many crowds around 37 or 38,000 in recent years. Last year we had uh, – the William and Mary game where we were right around forty, um, just right. just shy or just over forty thousand. But uh, but yeah, we we would love to have a crowd of thirty seven to thirty eight thousand. And something else he said, we'll yeah, something else he said in that interview that I found interesting. It, and who knows this this approach may change, but he indicated that it may be a situation where that okay, um, you have some sections that aren't socially distanced um they're leaving it up to the individual where okay if you want to sit the way you would traditionally sit you can and then if you have a handful of sections where you want to go because you're not comfortable sitting close to people then you can do that as well so it's going to be interesting yeah for sure i really don't understand that concept right there but uh whatever oh yeah <laughs> and, and maybe i misunderstood that but you guys go, if you haven't heard the interview and check it out i think that's I mean, that's the way i took it um, Bubba, uh, off topic, but, uh, I just want to tell you this real fast. I just muted my phone and, uh, my dog, Thank you. My, my big dog, uh, was, was, uh, was eating my chihuahua's food. So I yelled and I yelled, Bubba! <laughs> Instead of Nikki. Some reason you're about. Some reason hey. you're about. Kyle, you're not the first person to say my name's like a cuss word. <laughs> Yeah, I, don't, I have no doing. idea. I have no idea why I uh, called my dog uh, Bubba instead of Mickey. But yeah. <laughs> hey guys, why don't why don't we? Uh, of us, why don't we go to Mick Mixon? Yeah, Mick Mixon. Uh, he's been the play by play voice on the radio network for the Carolina Panthers since way back in 2005. Uh, so obviously, a lot's changed for the Panthers in the last several months. New coach, uh, new new quarterback, etc. So let's talk about that and much more with Mick Mixon right now. Well, it's uh, hard to believe it's June, and we're still uh, waiting to see how things are going with COVID-19. And with me right now, a good friend of mine, the voice of the Carolina Panthers, Mick Mixon. How are you? Good to hear your voice, David. Everything is good. I am um, talking to you from my remote office, which is a 2005 Nissan Titan pickup truck with 259,000 <laughs> miles on it. And I uh, can't wait to get back to the stadium and start seeing seeing some ball again i think we're going to have football what are you hearing from your sources well that's the thing is that it seems like everything is i was just telling you my day job things are changing literally 
um, by the second. If you work in the hospital, you think one thing is one way and that's the next way. And so, uh, you know, one of those things is like a mystery every day, um, what I do. Um, but this is even more so. And so now we're just, I guess, we'll wait until um, I've never been one to live moment by moment. I'm usually, my head is in the future and not the past, but I guess I need to be present in the moment, as they say, Mick. <laughs> All of us do. I mean, they'll, historians will look back on this, on 2020 in such a variety of ways, and the lessons that we learned, the impact, the the relationships that possibly were fertilized or uh, cultured and nurtured some that, that may not have been in the the pace that we used to, to, to go. Uh, right. I think every family will have a different story to tell, but uh, football is so seems so insignificant when when you're talking about social change and justice, uh, a virus that can't replicate on its own, but it seems to be able to find hosts. But it is football is a way that we come together, right? And we're yeah we're and we and we need to be together, and um, and hopefully the NFL can play a small part in and helping people get get to get some fun back in their lives. Mick, I was just talking to you. Uh, I'm just amazed uh, with everything going on. You have uh, an owner change a couple years ago. You've had a coaching change. Uh, players, as I was telling you right before the interview, come and go. Uh, how are things for you? I mean, you've been there rock solid for a number. Is this season? Is it like season 13? I can't no, remember. No, I, I lose track. I think this will be my 16th coming up. 16th, okay. Man, it seems like it's been a good while. It's hard to remember, but I know it's been a long time. And uh, have you ever seen this much change with the organization? It seems like a lot in the last two or three years. My wife and I are taking an old farmhouse down to the studs, 1910 farmhouse. And wow. What the Panthers are doing reminds me of kind of what we're what we're doing. It's it's expensive. It's exciting. It's <laughs> exhilarating. It's uh, it's, 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 it's unbelievable what the Carolina Panthers are doing. And, and, and I'm so proud of my employer to, to, to put action where the words were. And of course, I'm talking about the, you know, the football side now. We can talk about other things if you want to, but just, just with the X's and O's and with personnel decisions that all NFL teams face for a new coach to come in or new, uh, for new, uh, coordinators, new staff comes in, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we're going to start fresh and let's go, or Panthers on three, ready, break. But to do it requires courage, conviction, uh, a plan. And the Panthers parting company with Cam Newton, Greg Olson, yeah. Keekley on his own retires. That wasn't a change the Panthers made. But to part company with Gerald McCoy, Eric Reed, I mean, just a long list of a couple of corners. I mean, just a long list of players, iconic Panthers, right. that that the Panthers believe that, that if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna remodel it, then you gotta you gotta have demo day, and that's what that's what we're seeing right now. But all of a sudden, we've gone from a team, David, that looked like we were just gonna go two and fourteen, and and hopefully get in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. Now, with some of these draft picks, with the juice we got coming in on D, with the offensive firepower that free agency has added with Teddy Bridgewater's arrival to the franchise. I don't think, I mean, I'm not predicting a winning season or the postseason, but I, I think we're going to be a handful this year. 
Well, you know, one of the things I was going to ask you about with the coaching change is, first, how hard was it? I know that you're very close with the coaches going all the way back to the days when you were at your alma mater with uh, broadcasting UNC. How how hard was it to lose Ron Rivera? He seems to be – I've always been a huge fan of Riverboat Ron. How hard was it to lose him? It was one of those days. It reminded me of when Jake DeLome retired. When Jake DeLome retirement, his retirement press conference, I mean, secretaries are crying, uh, landscapers are crying, stadium ops, grown men, women, everybody, just so sad that that Jake DeLome wasn't going to be uh, a Panther anymore. Fortunately, he has circled back. And it was similar with, with Coach Rivera's last day. That's the kind of currency of respect and admiration that he traded in throughout his Carolina Panther career. So it was it was tough, but we all knew he wouldn't be on the street for very long. And, of course, he surfaced as the head coach of Washington very quickly. And then Washington surfaced on the Panthers' schedule for 2020 very quickly. Yeah, I saw that. I was going to ask you about – I'm very happy with your new coach, with Matt Rule. Uh, obviously followed his career, did an excellent job. I, um, I was a big fan of him, of course, with East Carolina – uh, know him very well from Temple, what the job he did there. And, you know, you could go on and on with it. And then all of a sudden, he's there at Carolina. And I was like, at first, I was like, huh? And then I was like, well, you know what? He was a great coach in college that I love and admire and respect. Glad to have him for the home team with Carolina. I think if you can coach, you can coach. If you can great. build consensus, if you can deflect the criticism or the praise, rather, if you can deflect praise, accept criticism like all leaders do. If you have that fabric, if you have that talent, that skill set, then you can do it in the pros. You can do it in college. You could He could take a high school team and probably turn it around and win. He's just gifted. And the Matt Rule that you see on the camera, uh, on the press conferences, I cannot tell a difference. Any difference between that Matt Rule and the real Matt Rule is not discernible. He's genuine. He's. I loved his his virtual press conference a week or two ago, David, where he was talking about a communication, the, the George Floyd uh, story, the the need to uh, to to respect for for ownership, for leadership, to respect these players in whatever way they decided, so long as it was peaceful, of course, to protest. Uh, Matt Rule, I bet he said 15 times, look, I don't have the answers. I, I'm not trying to not trying to lay out any kind of plan here. I'm just I'm just a man. I'm just a, uh, someone who's trying to understand how uh, minorities have have felt and currently feel and trying to make sure my players know that that there's no there's nothing other than open door policy. And anyway, those are I'm trying to paraphrase his words, but he spoke eloquently for himself, but I just thought it was it hit a it hit a good mark for for coach. No doubt about it. And uh, what do you think about having the having the LSU offense uh, with a coordinator come in and have a new offensive coordinator? And uh, uh, he, he's another one that's had NFL experience and wins the national championship. And and now you, you got him with the Panthers. You got to be excited about that. Yeah, Joe Brady, a.k.a. Yeah. Opie Taylor, he, he's 30, 31 years old. He just looks like he's just as green as a gourd, but he's got this uh, the, this microprocessor, this Pentium chip in his head that he just loves, X's and O's and ball plays, trying to create an advantage for his his side on every single play. And um, K 
cannot wait to get it going. And the marriage of Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater, they have a little bit of history together through New Orleans. Right. Don't you think that's got a chance? I do, and I was going to ask you about that very thing. That was my one of my next questions to you, speaking of Joe Brady, was the fact that with his time in New Orleans uh, with the the Saints and the Panthers, uh, what do you think about that? Will that give uh, the Panthers an advantage now, knowing a little bit about the organization? A little, but there are very few secrets in the league, as you know, David. Yeah. Everybody studied everybody, the intelligence, the counterintelligence. Every now and again, you might get a you might get a little bit of an advantage here or there. What do you what do you, how do you think it's going to play out? Well, I like I like to hire and rule. I like to hire in Brady. I, I think that they. I think you're gonna. I think you're right. I, maybe I'm. The, I'm always. If you learn one thing about me, Mick, I'm always the guy that is the glass half half full and not half empty. I'm always half full. So, um, and and the fact that the Panthers have done a nice job over the years, it seems like when you're not going to the playoffs, Panthers find a way to go to the playoffs. You know, you you hear people say they're not going this year, um, then they're going. So uh, there, uh, there's a lot of teams. I'll just put it like this for the Panthers. Not being a homer, there's a lot of people that would love to be in the shoes of the Panthers to go to the playoffs. Oh my, you're talking about the playoff word. I don't even know if we can utter it with Coach Rule just getting going and and not yeah. even having the opportunity to practice. But I mean, I guess it's it's a possibility, and our schedule is front end loaded. We got we get a good early look at the NFC South. Right. But I think it's a good schedule. It's manageable. And, right. um, man, I don't know if you can see it, couldn't you? I mean, if Bridgewater gets out there, starts slinging it around and um, completing some passes and uh, can get them blocked up a little bit, get McCaffrey off some, we could win some games. Yeah, I read about today that uh, McCaffrey was, you know, obviously um, one of the best. He is one of the best, but one of the most explosive backs, and you can't argue with that. It was a list I saw. I think it was on Panthers.com. but. Um, one of the stories there, and they, um, and I, you know, it's one of those things. It's hard to know, I guess, until we're so early that there's a lot of teams that maybe people think they're going, and and you've been around the league so long, makes a lot of people predict teams that go and they don't, and then there's some prizes in the league, and I'm hoping that that for the case for the home team with the Panthers. Me too. Every every year there are those stories, and and I can't stand these dumbhead statistics where. <laughs> The talking heads put out there right. that oh hey hey hey, seventy-eight uh, percent of teams that start zero and two don't make the playoffs. Well, right. okay, but what percentage of those teams weren't going to make the playoffs anyway? What percentage of those teams weren't right. really very good? Um, how do injuries play out? How does the schedule play out? It's just, it's just I can't stand that kind of thing. It's just a long season. It's part of the why we love this game. It's a long season. It's not a sprint. And the best teams don't always win. That's very true. And uh, by the way, Mick, uh, my co-host here, Bubba Rosenbaum, is joining us now. Uh, we've been talking to Mick, uh, obviously, for a little bit now, Bubba. And uh, one of the things that I'll pass along to you, the baton to Bubba, is uh, certainly with um, the stadium. And I wanted to know, uh, Mick, if you know anything about, but I think it's 73,000 there at Bank of America. I think that's right. Do you know if there's going to be we're hearing all kinds of reports from different colleges and, of course, leagues and stuff about percentages. Maybe East Carolina, for example, would have, who knows, 25% of it. So that would be about 12,700, we've heard. It could be up to 25% of the 
the stadium capacity. I didn't know if you'd heard anything uh, regarding that for the Panthers or the league. I think it's – I haven't con- con- uh, conclusively, David, but I think in Bubba, too, it's nice to hear uh, – to be chatting with you both. It's uh, it's it's still still I think pretty organic and could go in right. any direction. I have heard our stadium ops, our food and beverage, our security people say that the hardest scenario for them is some fans. All fans, we're used to doing that. We can do that. No fans, that's that that's pretty easy to do. You don't need a whole a big meeting for that. You just shut it down. But to let say half the people come in. To fill the stadium with twenty-five or thirty thousand or thirty-five thousand, that's that creates all kinds of problems. Ingress, egress. How do you decide who gets in and doesn't? Uh, getting everybody fed and watered. This is crazy. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that very thing. We were debating on that. We had an issue where people were worried about all of a sudden with season tickets to East Carolina, for example. It was. Just a couple weeks ago, Mick, it's going from 5,300 to it's got to be Friday. Yeah, as of Thursday morning, it was uh, 9,700. Um, we've had a watermark under Skip Holtz of 24,000. We were hoping to have 16,000, but we're thinking that if um, there are a lot of people that now are buying season tickets, it's kind of a wait and see, and now all of a sudden it's become, oh, boy, you better buy the season tickets because that might be the way, only way that you get in the – to the stadium this year, and I didn't know if that would be the reason I brought that up. I didn't know if that was a measurement that the Panthers would use as the folks that are season ticket holders, PSLs, are those the ones that it's, it creates a huge nightmare in uh, logistics that, I mean, you're a very intelligent man. I don't know. that I've never seen anything like this, so I don't know what the right answer is. Well, I appreciate your confidence in me, uh, but I'm not sure that, uh, that it's well-placed. But I, I do know this: uh, it's whatever those, however those decisions get made, wh- whatever office those decisions get made in, it'll be a bigger office with more windows than mine. Yeah, and Bubba, one of the things. Uh, by the way, Mick, uh, I've known Mick for about I think twelve years, and Bubba, I promised him for a long time. I was going to tell you, Mick, you're on the air. If you if you have fans that they're at training camp, I don't know how that's going to be. I don't know. I don't think that we are, but. If we, I've heard some rumors of that with other teams. I was wondering about the Panthers, but Bub and I have planned a day trip to come down and see you and uh, see the team. We would, uh, we're looking forward to that if they allow fans. So. Got to do it if we if we open it up. And I'm hoping. Uh, I, I sort of t- I took Wofford for granted I, I, until because now we're not going to Wofford. No NFL team can travel for a training camp, so everyone everyone has to stay home. But I'm, it's making me miss the, those three weeks in the upstate. The uh, just so many cool things about that about that time of late July, early August, as these collection of alpha males try to come together as a team. And fans had such access, and the facility itself was so beautiful. Everything manicured, mulch, flowers, the Bermuda grass mowed just right. The mowers put that stripe pattern in the fields. The Panthers out there working, practicing, music, thumping music, playing through the speakers. I mean, it's, we'll still train and we'll still practice, and I guess it'll be some form of training camp. But I so hope next year uh, we get to go back to Wofford for, for at least one more time. I wanted to ask you, Mick, as far as the uh, – what about uh, as far as I know with – 
everything now with Rock Hill. Can you talk about the new training facility as far as, I guess, that's the practice facility? Uh seems like that the state, speaking of the Palmetto State uh, and Rock Hill, the folks there put a lot of money, uh, I guess, with David Tepper to get, instead of like having it there at Bank of America, practices will be, is that right, at, uh, in Rock Hill eventually? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the epicenter of, of the organization is moving to the upstate, to York County. This state-of-the-art facility will uh, be architecturally very interesting. David Tepper's bought a prime piece, 200, 250 acres with, with a couple other parcels that he could pick up if he hasn't already. There'll be restaurant space, medical center, condos, housing, uh, retail. Uh, it's just going to concerts down there. It's just going to be amazing. I'm very excited about it, and of course, uh, love to see it when it's complete. I know Bubba is a—he's um, in a bad area right now. We're trying to see sell-wise. He'll be in here just a second, one of those days, Mick. Uh, he actually wants to uh, obviously, when that opens up, see it and uh, obviously go around touring, and obviously on our Sports Objective Facebook page and on our YouTube channel to be able to put some video up there when it's completed. And I know um, there's going to be a lot of fans of the like as well that or chomping at the bit to see that place because I'm, I mean, I've had, I don't know if you've heard this, but Mick, but I've heard some people equate that to uh, uh, maybe something of the like of Jerry's World, even though it's not going to be a stadium, but a lot of cool amenities, a lot of cool things for Panther fans. Yeah, I'll I'll be old, I'll be even older when that opens, and so maybe I'll have a golf cart uh, (laughs) that I can borrow, that that I can escort you guys around in and show everything to you because it's probably going to be such a big facility and so many things to see that that especially on a warm day we might not be able to do it by foot. How what's the timetable that's the next few years, two or three years, or how long is it going to take to complete that? Do you know? I think it's about a two year build out. Okay. So my my guess would be, and don't hold me to it. I don't speak for the whole right. organization. I'm just one little one little guy out here in in, um, in Panther Land, but I'm thinking that. Panthers will, of course, train in Charlotte this year, go to Wofford next year, if, if assuming that the virus will allow it. And then by training camp the following season, we'd be ready to have everything be in Rock Hill. That's amazing. So the investment that Rock Hill made, which I knew was obviously huge. I can't put the – I don't have the numbers in front of me. I know it's a big number, uh, more than my East Carolina education. Um, but I would say that uh, that's going to be huge for Rock Hill. And I wasn't going to ask you that very thing. I'd heard a rumor, and it's not true, so I'm going to say that, but I'd heard that this, uh, a new stadium was going to be built. and um, I was wrong on that. Um, but I was told a rumor that the next stadium would be in upstate. Um, I'm hoping it'll stay in Charlotte. I love Bank of America, and I hope our politicians in Raleigh and, and beyond and Charlotte will uh, do the necessary upgrades. Uh, that needs to be made, but are you hearing anything as far as renovating Bank of America? No, I've heard all kind of rumors about like yeah. you have. There's a pipe and foundry piece of land very near the stadium that looks like it could have a potential moving forward, but I promise you this, if you can imagine it, if you can dream it, then David Tepper has thought of it, and he's probably appointed a committee to study it, including putting a roof on the current stadium, uh, Razzman oh, wow. is building a new one. 
Uh, I mean, I, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I'm saying right. David, this kind of guy, David Tepper is, he, he, he doesn't, some people come in and say, well, if we did this, it'd probably be a problem. It'd be expensive. David Tepper just says, okay, bring it. Just everybody around, all his staff, he just looks at him and says, bring it. If you got an idea, <laughs> let me hear it. And don't be surprised if we don't act on it. One of the things I was surprised too with Cyborg, and I know that you're a Panther guy, but, um, bringing a major league soccer franchise to, Obviously, Charlotte, he obviously was capable of that. So when he was able to do that, when others won't, and um, another gentleman that we know very well in Charlotte and, and obviously one in Raleigh, uh, it says a lot about his weight and that he's well, – just like you said, it was like he – there are a lot of people that may think it, and there might be people say, yeah, like me, oh, yeah, we'll have a soccer team, but he made it happen. So that, is that the kind of boss he is? Now I'm putting you on the spot, but – it's exactly the kind of boss that he is. He'll, he says things in kind of a matter-of-fact, off-the-cuff way. I remember when he first bought the Panthers, he mentioned, he foretold this. He talked about how he thought like that, that MLS, Major League Soccer, would be a good fit. And then people who knew him well, I think, the rest of us were sort of getting to know him. But people who knew him well, David, would just say, well, there it is. Uh, that that right there sets in David Tepper's mind. That sets the wheels in motion to add an MLS team to his portfolio, and he did it. And that's going to be fun to, to see how that plays out. Talking about the Panthers, though, um, I know with everything up in the air. I know you said that we were all right before we started. So you guys uh, now are waiting for certain, as far as the front office, certain personnel. They'll get to be allowed in there. Then it'll be a while before you can go back to the. I take it, or have you heard anything for you? It was going to be the 15th of June, and I think some employees will be able to go back. I actually went back a couple weeks ago, but I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. So I was in my <laughs> coat and tie. I had my briefcase. I'm at my desk. I'm swinging my sword. I'm working on my depth charts, names, and numbers, and I get my stadium stair run in at lunch. I'm working out. The whole time I'm looking around the building going, where is everybody? I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I later learned that, that security had me on surveillance, and they, they, they got this big staff, all-staff memo got reissued just because of me. I wasn't mentioned by name, but the memo said, just to reiterate, employees are to shelter at home and do not come in. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me think of seventh grade when I was very embarrassed because I was at lunchtime. We were playing out in, the, in junior high, and... I'll never forget that. I looked around and I looked around and looked around and none of my classmates were there and I walked in and all my classmates and my teacher was staring at me. I was like 20 minutes late getting back to class. So uh, <laughs> it was one of those um, those moments there where you're like, oh, so I'm the one singled out. You, uh, as far as the Panthers go, I know there's a lot of people asking, um, you know, you're talking about circling back to the quarterback position. How many people or do you think in the organization uh, – are missing Cam Newton. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's tremendous. I love Cam Newton, period. Um, I know some people can take him or leave him. I like him a lot. I like I like an athlete with swagger. Um, what do you think about Terry Bridgewater? you think he's uh, he's going to bring the same I – know, I know it's hard to compare two guys, but I, I do think – I do have confidence in um, Bridgewater. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is totally different animal than Cam Newton. Newt, Cam Newton's like wasabi. You know, once you get a taste of it, even when it's gone, you still kind of taste it. And that's how spicy and tart 
Cam Newton was and is. Uh, his legacy is secure as one of the all-time great Panthers and a huge, huge personality. You couldn't take your eyes off of him, whether it was right. Fan Fest, he's out stretching his entrance onto the field an hour before the game, all eyes on, on the one car. Bridgewater's different. He's more uh, in the background. He's more humble. But I call your attention to the uh, comments of Sean Payton, who after one game last year when Breeze was hurt and Bridgewater was called upon to snap up in there like a shark tooth and keep that Saints uh, apex predator rolling along, and he did so well. Sean Payton was asked about Teddy Bridgewater, and he said, and I love this about Sean Payton. I hate Sean Payton, but I say that in the most respectful way possible. He's irritating to compete against because he's so talented. Right. Sean Payton says, Teddy Bridgewater, smart, accurate, can make the first guy miss, a leader. I'll stop there. So it was just a short a staccato burst from Sean Payton, but it said so much. I thought that's that's Teddy Bridgewater in a crucible, and he's now a Panther. Isn't that great? It is great. It's great for Panther fans. And I think that that position, everybody's wondering about that. Hey, Bubba, you're in a better area now? Let's see if Bubba's in. I don't know if he's with us. If not, then I'll, I'll keep going. But uh, I don't want to hog the interview. But uh, he was asking me about draft picks. Can you talk about the draft? And um, what, what's your take on the, the Panthers as far as back in late April? Well, it's a history-making draft. All defensive players in the draft. I love uh, safety, uh, Jeremy Chin. I think that's that's going to really bring an intelligent, rangy, big safety, <clears throat> a thumper to the back end. Uh, the the D line picks make a, a lot of sense. Uh, I think uh, I think that I think it's great. I mean, every every. And I, I try not to pay too much attention to the uh, the, the talking or the draft nicks. You know, the people we all know who they are. They kind of come and go. Oh, Some yeah. of them have incredible staying power. But I'm not. I'm like anybody. I'm not immune to c- calling up CBSSportsLine.com or Mel Kiper or Todd McShay or just to see. Okay, what? How do we do? You know, what grade? What letter grade did we get? Although isn't that crazy? That's like giving. That's like giving uh, fifth graders a letter grade based on what kind of careers we think they're going to have in, in 15, 20 years. It's hard to see the future. But still, that all said, that disclaimer issued, the Panthers, I saw a lot of A, A minus, B plus across the board from people who get paid to analyze this type thing. Bubba, are you with us now? I am. All right, Bubba, meet Mick. Mick, meet Bubba. There we go. We finally got a good connection there. Obviously, guys, I, I don't know what you've discussed or not discussed. I did hear uh, we'll you talk just, about the draft now. So, if you want to talk about draft picks, offensive line, you can talk about. Okay, you know, yeah. Um, as, as far as the draft's concerned, I'm sure you may have already mentioned this, but uh, I believe I saw that correctly. What that that all seven draft picks, and obviously on the defensive side of yeah. the ball, that that was the first time in NFL history that that had ever been the case. But but obviously, in addition to that, Dave, you mentioned the offensive line, and that's something uh, I know has been a point of concern for the Panthers over the last few years. And uh, I know they acquired Russell Okung, uh, tran- tran- excuse me, um, trading Trey Turner for him, and then they also signed four free agents on the offensive line. So, what can you shed light on there? Well, just what, you, just basically, kind of what you said. It's 
It's been such an area for potential growth for the Panthers. Uh, Cam Newton, for all of his exquisite physical gifts, uh, you, you can't if you can't get him consistently blocked up, it's going to be hard for any quarterback. And the Panthers have had some good O lines, but I just I really liked the Turner for Okun trade. I thought, okay, here we get a veteran left tackle. Left tackles are hard to come by. Turner's very very good guard. But um, I just think it times up well for the Panthers to, to add Okun to that uh, that that O line room and to the left side of the offensive line. And it's gonna, you know, it's gonna. I think what we're gonna see is is a little bit different type of O line. Now I'm not saying that it's gonna be the Chip Kelly where everybody where they're all gonna look like tight ends and weigh 285 pounds and just be be spread out with wide splits and. And, and all that. I think there'll be some road graders in there, some people with that, that anchor strength. But I think this offensive line is going to be a, uh, a different type of a group. I think it's going to be, I think quickness, foot speed, hand speed, hand placement. Uh, I think it's, it's, I think they're going to get coached hard, but I think it's got real, real promise. Yeah, no doubt about it. As far as, uh, is there an official word? I know you said that obviously you guys can't go to back to Wofford. I was telling Bubba that you and I were hoping to make a road trip. Uh, do you think there will be fans allowed, or do you think that that's been a done deal that uh, we can't come this year? I, I know more about analytic trigonometry than I do about your question. <laughs> I just right. don't know. Yeah, I know that's hard to it's hard to say. Well, we do know that. Uh, the football will be coming up, uh, we feel like, and uh, there's a lot of question marks there. Uh, before we let you go, are you, um, with the time off, are you catching up on anything on Netflix or is there anything that you're watching? Uh, obviously, we can't watch sports very much, but uh, maybe reruns of stuff, classic games. But is there anything you're watching right now that our fans would love to know about? I don't know if any fans would would love to know about it or even care, but since you asked me, I'll try to tell you. I do not like reality TV. I'm not on social media. I believe scarcity breeds momentum. So I do not uh, urinate on every bush with my opinion to mark my territory. I just pretty much stay in my lane. So as a result, I find that I do not really like reality TV, but I'm forced to look at it some when my wife has control of the remote. But we just watched the Michael Peterson documentary, that murder case, Durham, yeah. N.C., we watched every episode of that, binge-watched it. We're huge Ozark fans. We love uh, Yellowstone. We can't wait for Yellowstone to come back. It comes back Father's Day on the Paramount Network. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, Andy Griffith's show. Uh, I've gone down several little rabbit holes with boxing. Uh, Muhammad Ali rose to prominence during my lifetime, so I've watched four or five Ali fights start to finish on YouTube. Wow. Things like that. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't. I'm a big Kevin Costner fan. I got to check. My sister told me about Yellowstone, so uh, I've got to add that uh, certainly to my list. Well, Mick, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Uh, what's the timetable on the renovation there, uh, as far as the, the old farmhouse you're talking about? And then we'll let you go. Our general contractor has assured us we'll be in by Christmas. We just don't know uh, what year it, it will be yet. <laughs> so maybe 2022, 23. <laughs> by one of these Christmases we hope to be in <laughs> well we hope we can get a Christmas card from you with the, the new house and the, and the inside and the 
seasons, greetings, and all that stuff. Big thanks, you, man. I appreciate the the visit for sure, and uh, we'll have you back on before uh, the season uh, starts. Hopefully, there in um, August, and certainly uh, for preseason. Sounds good, David, and appreciate it, Bubba. Glad you got to chime in, and you guys come see us. Thank you very much, Mick. Good to hear what he's watching on television, and uh, he's actually there renovating. They got it at an old farmhouse, I think uh, Kylie said from 1910. Oh. Uh, so it'll be interesting to take your bets on which Christmas um, it'll be. Uh, they'll be in there, so hopefully it'll be this Christmas um, being 2020. We'll have to wait and see on that. Uh, we Guys, we had another great guest we will get to. Uh, was fantastic with us as well, right, Bubba? Yeah, we certainly love to have this guy on any time, but uh, it was excellent timing with everything, all the labor talks with Major League Baseball, also the draft, even though we didn't touch on that a whole lot. It was primarily about the labor talks and his career. Um, let's get that conversation right now with former Major League Baseball All-Star and four-time Gold Glove winner Brett Boone. Well, we think that we're going to have Major League Baseball and glad to have this Major League former Major League Baseball player. And uh, when you hear that name, Boone, right, Bubba, you know that it goes with Major League Baseball. Absolutely. Um, as many folks know, um, we were catching up with Brett Boone on Wednesday night. Unfortunately, had some extreme technical difficulties, but uh, we appreciate his patience and willingness to come back on the program. Brett, welcome in. Thanks for, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, we're off to a better start. <laughs> well, that's what well, I told Dave. Like the first day, that, that, that could be the worst thing ever. Like, we normally have good reception and everything, and uh, I was like, Brett Boone is going to think we're the worst show ever, so hopefully we'll, um, we'll have a second a second crack at it. Yeah, that's what the first six minutes were great, and you had a, some uh, excellent did anybody, hear, did, did anybody hear any of us, any of our uh, content? Yeah, that's what, uh, because I actually, um, shortly after we ended things and just said we'll go with the phone interview today. Um, that's what one of my buddies reached out to me and said, hey, uh, sorry about y'all, y'all's technical difficulties. The first six minutes was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, uh, I guess we can talk a subject matter. It's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, like we were talking about the other night. Maybe we'll have a second crack at it, and maybe we know a little bit more. It's certainly, I was asking you at the beginning of the interview the other night about Major League Baseball, and are we going to have a season? Uh, I saw an article about where, Commissioner Manfred was saying that if uh, both sides, being the players and, and the owners, couldn't come to an agreement, he was going to make it where we were going to have one, uh, have a season. And some, I know you told us the other night you've been a player representative. Is that possible for the commissioner to say, okay, you guys don't agree, but I'm going to have a season anyway? Well, you know, you're stumping me right out of the gate. I, I think there is a provision in there that the, the uh, commissioner can unilaterally um, – impose you know but but i think that would go to if it went to that i, I think it would be a 40, 48 whatever it may be i think it automatically goes to an arbiter so the arbiter would and and the owners and the players go into the situation and the arbiter you know the players put their best foot forward the owners put their best foot forward and the arbiter decides which is the fairest route to go it, it's never <clears throat> You know, our arbitration might be, depending on who the arbiter is, it might be the fairest way to go. You know, I, I don't find that's the best way because people are going to get hurt and there's going to be bad things said about both sides. Whoever loses is going to have a little ill will. 
So I, I, I think it's always best to negotiate something out where both sides can agree, even if both sides aren't 100% happy with it. Uh, the fact that they agree in, in legitimate, um, you know, back and forth and negotiating and in, in good faith negotiating, I, I think that's big, especially uh, going forward in the next couple of years on what's on the, on the horizon for Major League Baseball coming up with the next basic agreement. Earlier today, today being Friday, June 12th, um, I saw the Major League Baseball's proposal to the union, 72 games, um, and said that um, the players would receive 70% of the prorated pay um, in the regular season, and then if the postseason's played, 80% of the prorated salaries. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, once again, you've really got to have the numbers in front of you and be a numbers guy to crunch them. I think when we went into this, um, you know, this lockdown situation, this pandemic situation, uh, it's not the owner's fault. It's not the player's fault on, on the guidelines that are put forth, but for the, you know, put forth by the government. And that was, you know, no, no sports, you know, all the businesses are closed down and the restaurants and, and the sports venues. Uh, so that's not the owner's fault, and it's not the player's fault. So now we're in this in this situation. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, and I, I think I said it the other night, whether we caught it with all our technical difficulties or not, I'm a union guy. I'm a player's guy. I'm a, you know, I was a player rep. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of mistrust, you know, in, in those negotiations um, by the Players Association towards the owners over the years and things that have gone on. That being said, in this particular situation, I, I can completely see the player side as we want our prorated salaries. Well, the owners didn't come up with this where no fans could come to the game, no concession at the game, um, no parking at the game. I mean, that's a big chunk of revenue that the owners will not be getting. Now, they'll still be getting all their TV revenue, local radio and TV, and, and, uh, national radio and TV. And that's the mainstream of revenue, I think, for all sports these days. Uh, but that being said, there's going to be no fans in the stands. So for the players to get their, their full, you know, now I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm thinking outside the box, and I'm thinking I'm not a player, I'm not an owner, I'm just trying to think what is the fairest deal. Well, the players are going to have to take a little bit of a hit because of the because of the fans not being in there. I'm an optimist, I'm looking forward. I think if this season starts in July, I think there's a good chance at some point in that season you are having fans in the stands. I think, you know, to get the fans back in the stands, man, an empty stadium is going to be bizarre enough. But but when these restaurants are opening up to 50% capacity, why couldn't Major League Baseball open up to 50% capacity at the beginning? And somehow, you know, numbers guys that are smarter than us when it comes to crunching numbers behind the scenes, there is a way there that, hey, these fans start coming back. Well, then that directly affects the players and the owners, and the players start collecting more money because you're receiving the revenue. There's got to be a middle ground there that both sides can reach. Uh, I don't know that they're going to get there, especially with that arbiter, uh, you know, choice C, I call it, you know, A and B, and, and then there's C. If, if it gets to the point where they just can't come together, well, then you go to the arbiter. I think to avoid that, yeah, man, it, it, it's just good for, for the camaraderie in the whole arena as a whole, if you can get something done. So there's got to be something in there. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm not smart enough to know what it is, but I know it's, 
it would be a win-win for everybody. And, and the biggest win I think will be for the fans and, and the country, quite frankly, to do a little healing and, and give some people with, you know, there's been a lot of downtime the last two or three months. Give, give people a little bit of an escape. Just kind of a sidebar about the 72 game schedule. If it were to happen, I'm trying to remember what the source of this was, but I'm pretty sure I saw in the last few days, if that did happen, that uh, that would be the first time since the 1800s that Major League Baseball's played a season less than 80 games. Yeah, and I think you got to really be careful, too, when you're talking about, you know, the brand of Major League Baseball. You know, you start you start knocking it down. You know, 82 games, I thought, well, at least with everything going on, everybody understands what's gone on. And uh, this is this is obviously a very unique circumstance that everybody's in, not only in baseball, but in all, you know, all walks of life, all jobs. All companies. Um, so I think the, the public could could live with that. It's, you know what? 82 games. It's better than nothing. I get to see my my Cubs or my Red Sox play 82 games. You know, with the pandemic and all that, that's a heck of a lot better than nothing. But I think once 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 the time keeps ticking, we get to a point where you're talking 52, 48 games. You know, there's always going to be already you've got the baseball purists. That, that want to put an asterisk next to everything. Well, they're going to put an asterisk next to this 82-game schedule, let alone if you four-speed uh, a 52 or a 48-game schedule down. Oh, it's going to start off, go, well, this isn't legitimate anyway. This is this and this. I, I think you can avoid that with, with coming up with something sooner than later because that allows you the time to get that 75-81 you know, I think in a perfect world, it's 81 games. It's half of 162. Right. I think that would be the best for everybody. But uh, you don't want to start getting down to 50, 48 games. This is baseball. It's 162. And I think you start, you know, that gives a mediocre team. Anybody can have a good month. And that's why Major League Baseball, we play six months. Because every a mediocre team can't have a good six months. But anybody can have a good month. And if you're in a 48-game schedule after one month, you know, they, some mediocre team that really isn't good enough to play with the other guys could be in a catbird seat, uh, you know, right down to the wire. Not that that wouldn't be exciting. You know, some people might view it as exciting uh, that, that a team that normally wouldn't wouldn't have the ability or, or the talent to make it uh, this year is, is their year. Uh, that being said, I, I, I don't think the players would like that. You know, 48 games. You know, what's that going to mean to a player? What's a championship ring going to going to mean to a 48-game season for players. It, there, there's going to be a little, I don't know, there's going to be a little cloud that hangs over that a little bit. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'll take the ring. I, I, I never won a World Series. <laughs> so I'll take the ring, but it's going to be a little bit tarnished with that schedule. I think you go 82 games, you have a, an exciting revamped uh, playoff system, get to the World Series, crown the winner, and in the meantime, he did a hell of a lot of great PR for the game of baseball, not only in, in the United States, but, but worldwide. And that does, uh, <clears throat> we were talking about that the other night, and I want to bring that back up uh, for those that missed it was the, or couldn't understand the technical difficulties was the fact that you were there early in your career. Uh, can you talk about the work stoppage and what it's like? Uh, they've got to come up with a way to um, – to, they've got to come up with a way to come to some kind of common ground because uh, I remember you talking about that you guys were negotiating with the work stoppage and all of a sudden they go, 
no World Series, and all of us that are fans are going, what? And I know you guys were even more shocked being the players. Well, I'll tell you, that that was my first experience with it. Um, you know, and I was encouraged by my dad at the time. He said, you know, the one thing I'd encourage you, dad was a, he was a, uh, he represented the National League for the players in the 70s in the Marvin Marvin Miller era. So he went through a whole heck of a lot. And, and the one thing he said to me as a young player, he said, I'm not saying you got to get that involved, but, but get in there. Go to the meetings. Uh, educate yourself on the process. And I got a lot of education. You know, I saw a lot of things that really opened my eyes to, to how it is behind the scenes and what it's like to be in those rooms. Um. And it blew me away, some of the things I saw. And the fact that, that, that the season was, the plug was pulled on the season. You know, one time, one minute we're sitting there negotiating with all the owners in the room sitting across the desk. And the next thing I know, they're at the podium announcing they cancel the 94 season. And, you know, me and my Reds, we're in, we're in first place wire to wire. And everybody's kind of looking at each other like, what just happened? Uh, later in that season, you know, as the negotiations went on, the next thing I know, uh, you know, I saw Bud Steele canceling the World Series in the playoffs. And that's when it really hit home for me. And, and we went into an offseason with a lot of, uh, you know, just unfinished business. We didn't know where we were. Everybody was kind of lost. Like, what's going to happen? You know, thankfully, we we got that thing uh, worked out and, and we got to the 95 season. And but baseball took a little bit of a hit, and, and I lived through it. And that's why they talk about, you know, I think that series is out this week on ESPN or one of the channels. I, th- I think it's a 30-30. It's a 98 home run race with, with McGuire and Sosa. And how, how special that was because of the state of the game at that time. And it, it just brings it back. It, it all They said, you know, that summer saved baseball. Well, what did it save us from? Well, the 94 canceling the World Series. So that tells you. The backlash you can get if, if negotiations go sideways and you don't get something done and the fans aren't happy with that. Um, so, so basically they canceled the 94 World Series and they're calling 98 the summer that saved baseball. So four or five years, we lost a lot of fans. Major League Baseball is Major League Baseball. I think I covered this last week. Uh, it's, bigger than, it, it's bigger than any player. It's bigger than any team. It's bigger than any generation. It's been around here long before us, and it's going to be here long after we're gone. That's it's Apple Pie, Chevrolet, and Major League Baseball. I, I kind of put that in the same category, but it doesn't mean there's not bumps in the road. I think baseball's done a tremendous job. They've gone 26 years now without a work stoppage. Uh, I tip my cap to them for that. You've got a 21, uh, after the 21 season, you've, you've got a big negotiation coming up. I think if you have some goodwill, get this thing done, I, I think you're going to have a heck of a lot better chance negotiating the one that counts, the, the 21 that, it, you know, might extend out eight, nine years. Those are the ones that are, those are the important negotiations. Those are when the players really have to toe the line and really fight for, for, for what's fair. This short-term fix, Band-Aid, 82-game schedule, I suggest, you know, and, and I hate to use the same terms I used last week in case somebody caught some of it without the technical difficulties. But if you can plug your nose, take a bite, and you don't like what, you know, you don't like how it tastes, but you can live with it, and the owners can do the same thing, I think you got a hell of a, a, hell of a deal out of it. And Brett, we actually have, uh, he came out of the cave now. We have Kyle from LaGrange. So he's here now. Kyle, did you have a question for Brett? Oh, uh, just, just. Join in. Don't know what was already talked about, uh, Brett. Um, I, uh, Groundbreaking. I, uh, 
Sounds like uh, sounds like we were talking about uh, you know, whether we're gonna have a, a short season or not, and then and comparing it back to the '94 season and uh, and whatnot, and how the '98 season, you know, um, because the summer to say baseball, like you said, uh, during that '98 season, the, the, the home run race between uh, McGuire and Sosa, and that, and did, did you realize how special that was at the time as a player? You know, the the attention baseball was getting. I mean, obviously during the summer, it kind of gets to the point where it's the only show in town. But just it was it was the top story on the news some nights. Not even the sports. Well, well, I think you go back to that far. I mean, uh, you know, that's we're going back 22 years now. I think, I think that season. Um, you know, I, I see the modern day game in, in, in 2020. Uh, it's it's just kind of normalcy for after a regular Monday night game between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Kansas City Royals. Both managers go to the go to the press press room after. Now, that's not always been that way in Major League Baseball. Maybe for the NFL, because there's only one game a week, and that's the only time they get them at the podium. But for the manager to come into a special room after the game, uh, that didn't start till recently. I, I personally think whatever great PR you can do for the game, whatever the fans want, I think you should do it. So I think they're making steps in the right direction from a coverage standpoint. You know, all these uh, you know these guys wearing wires, and and you can hear hear them while they're playing the game. As a player, I hated doing that. Nobody wants to have a wire on. But when you look at the big picture, man, what better PR from your game? That's all fans want to do is hear what it's like down in the field. What do the guys talk about? What's it like? And of course, some of them they got to be on a delay a little bit. But uh, I think these are things that that are really good for the game. So, and long story short, getting back to the '98 season. Um, those were the one thing. What was so different was after every game, McGuire had a press conference, and after every game, Sammy had a press conference. When individual players have press conferences um, predetermined before each and every game, you know something special is going on. And uh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Watching Mac, you know, I was in the down the stretch with both of those guys and watching them. You know, grind it out, and it seemed like every time we played it, there's another home. Hey, Big Mac hit one. You know, the players are talking. When the players are talking about it, it's a big deal. And my teammates go, hey, you know, it could be the middle of the fourth inning and, and a pitching change in my shortstop. Hey, you see Mac, he hit one tonight. You know, when, when the players are talking about it, something special is going on, that was a uh, pretty cool summer. And, and my claim to fame that summer was uh, I hit three home runs at Wrigley Field in a game. And, and, you know, for a bit, you don't hit three home runs in one game too often, and I got to crash Sammy's press conference, and I told Sammy, hey, I'll take it tonight, big guy. I know you got to do these every day. And uh, that was my claim to fame in the summer of 98. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Brett, um, you obviously played, I think, what, 14 years in the big leagues, and the bulk of those years coming two different stints with the Mariners and then also the Reds. Um, from 01 to 03 with the Mariners, um, you had a tremendous run uh, collectively over those three seasons, hit over 300, um, close to 100 home runs, and uh, well over 100 driven in each year. And so what are your memories of that three-year stretch? Well, those were the best three years of my career. Um, you know, and, and from uh, my kind of my favorite time, you know, Seattle still, I consider that my home Um the, the teammates I had from those teams, you know, are, are still friends of mine today. Not not the teams, you know, I, I have friends from from all my time in baseball. And, and I didn't have too many 
bad uh, experiences. You know, all, all the teams, most of those guys out there, and certain guys have a reputation of this or that. Uh, for the most part, guys are those big league players are good guys, and I enjoyed most of my teammates. You know, there's a handful that we can talk about on a different day, but but for the vast majority, I enjoyed my teammates, but especially those Mariner early 2000 Mariner teams. Uh, just up and down, you know, any one of those guys on those teams, you know, you talk about from 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock every night, uh, you go to battle with you, with those 25 guys, and after that, you pick your own friends, you know, you don't have to go out to dinner, you don't have to, you don't have to be best buddies to be great teammates. But that team, those particular years, it's like I could have gone to dinner with any one of those guys and it wouldn't have bothered me. And that's pretty unique in sports, pretty unique in, in whatever you do as an occupation. To be able to say, any one of my coworkers, you know, I'd, I'd love to go out to dinner with. Well, that's that would be, that's not the norm, I don't think. It's definitely not the norm in sports. Um, in those three years, something we had down there with that group of guys was, uh, you know, in my eyes, something pretty special and something I'll always remember. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what I consider Seattle my time. I had, I had a great time in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, I had a few brief stops. I had a stop in San Diego, which is where I was born, and, and I got to play a year on the beach. Uh, got to go to, you know, I got to go to Atlanta, which was one of the best teams I've ever been on. Got to go to a World Series. So, uh, for the most part, you know, I, I've had a pretty blessed life and, and nothing but, you know, mostly pretty darn good memories. And those two stints with the Mariners, I mean, you had the opportunity to play with the likes of Ken Griffey Jr., yeah, uh, I- I- Ichiro Suzuki, and then uh, obviously Randy Johnson and Edgar Martinez. And so what are your memories of some of those guys? Of course, uh, when I think of uh, Randy Johnson, uh, in addition to just his 100-mile-an-hour uh, fastball, I mean, I think of that hair. I think of him blowing up a bird in uh, spring training. Uh, what, are, what, are your, what are some of your memories about, about the hey, unit? Randy, Randy's better playing on his team than against. So I, I check my numbers against Randy; they're not too good. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'll tell you, um, uh, Kenny. You know, I got to play with Junior when I first came up. Best best player I ever played with. Uh, Edgar, you know, I got to play both stints, and and one of my one of my good buddies. Uh, you know, even even today, um, I got to play. You know, with a lot of great great players. Um, and and it was the, when I first came to the Mariners, you know, it was Randy and it was Jay Buner and it was and it was Edgar and it was Griffey and you know my first shortstop was Omar Vizquel. Uh So a lot of talent. We didn't we just didn't pitch much back in those days. You know, if Randy wasn't on the mound, you know, it was, it was a coin flip. So those were a little lean years for Seattle. But then I got traded to Cincinnati. Got to play on two two great teams, the '94 and the '95 Reds, then the '99 Braves, and then back to back to Seattle again and playing for Lou and, and winning 116 games in 2001. So, uh, you know, a lot of good times, a lot of good times. Brett, without getting into that discussion, is Gerby Jr., is, is he got the most natural power of anybody you've seen? <sighs> no. Um, you know, I, 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 I prefaced it with the, the best player I ever played with. And I played with some great players, some great hitters. Um, but Junior's the best. He's the best I've ever seen. Naturally, just fall out of bed, hit a home run. Yeah, he just did things that, you know, I came up to the big leagues, and I think I was 22, 23 years old, and I thought I was, you know, hot stuff. And all of a sudden, I'm watching Griffey, who's got 
two or three years in the big leagues already, and we're the same age. And I'm looking at him going, oh, my gosh. I didn't know how good good was. So uh, that was a shock to my system. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm clawing my way to the big leagues, and, and he's hitting 30 home runs in the big leagues at the same time. So he, he was an unbelievable talent. And he could do anything he wanted. Kenny could do anything he wanted. Um, homers, average, steal a base when he wanted, run like a gazelle, had a cannon. He, he just, Kenny was the, he was the best player I ever played with. Now, that being said, I've seen better players. Only one that comes to mind, but uh, there's only one guy I I saw played against, never played with him, that was just heads and, heads and tails above the rest, and that's that's Bond. No one, no one's even close in my mind. In my opinion, uh, no one that's no one that's ever walked this earth is as good a hitter as Barry Bonds was at the time. And, and, you know, you're playing against the great ones. And, and with the great hitters, Edgar Martinez, Jr., uh, you know, the Manny Ramirez, the Juan Gonzalez's of the world, none of those guys could hit behind Barry Bonds. You just couldn't pretend he was that good. He was playing slow-pitch softball. The rest of us were playing big league baseball. And that and that was certainly reflected with the way opposing teams pitched him, uh, walking him in situations when you wouldn't even dream of walking somebody. Well, I read something, you know, it's funny. I'm not a huge social media guy, but the other day I was looking on Twitter and there was a, just a fun fact on there. It said, uh, you know, 20 years ago today, Barry Bonds was intentionally walked to lead off the sixth inning. It's never <laughs> happened since. And I just thought, who, who intentionally walks you to lead off an inning, let alone the sixth inning? It's just, it's just a, you know, it just, it just shows you how dominating he was for about a five or six, I mean, he's great his whole career, but for about five or six years, it was like watching a guy from another planet, you know. It, it, it was just different. And I think if you if you took a blanket poll from, say, 1985 to 2010 and say, who's the best hitter, I, I would guarantee, I, I would be shocked if 90, 95% of the ballots didn't come back with Bond's name there. Well, and who was, Brett, who was the toughest so what would you say is the toughest pitcher that you ever faced? Uh, I get asked that question a lot. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of great ones. Randy was tough on me. Uh, you know, there were some great ones. I, you know, hated facing Pedro, but actually had some success off him. You know, Clemens actually had some success on him. But I, I wrap it up in just one sentence, and it's, it's Maddox Smoltz-Glavin in the 90s. <laughs> going to Atlanta, uh, Going to Atlanta, it, it was just a nightmare. And it seemed like it was Maddox, Smoltz, Gladden every time. And that's back when, you know, we didn't have the Internet. And it was picking up that USA Today. And I, and I remember, I knew we were going to Atlanta in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I'd check USA Today and start counting the days down, going, okay, two weeks from now. So I'd tell, all right, Maddox pitched yesterday. So that's one that I'd, I'd do the four days off. And then I get to when we were going to be there, and it was no, I get Maddox, Smoltz, and it seemed like every time. And then I got to play a year with them in '99, and, and I remember Greg was my locker mate, and we'd be going over to the pitchers of, uh, and, and uh, you know the pregame ritual before a series. He'd hand me a stat that said uh, Maddox versus Boone, and he'd go, "Aren't you glad you're on my team?" And I'd say, because I was like at the time I was like two for twenty. And I said, yeah, matter of fact, I am. I got him late in his career, 
but early on, man, that was tough sledding. It's funny you bring up the Braves. Um, I know you'd referenced him a little bit earlier and talking about that one season, unfortunately, um, came up a little bit shy, losing to the Yankees in the World Series. Yeah, we got swept. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, just, I know during, during that stretch, 15 straight division titles and, um, several appearances in the World Series, unfortunately, just that 195 title. But, um, yeah. as far as the Braves are concerned, uh, you you played on, um, like you said, five or six different places. Even though the bulk of your playing uh, came in two different organizations, but um, talk about the Braves. Even though you just spent one year there, um, just the culture that existed. You talked about the pitching staff, and obviously Bobby Cox, John Schulholz, and just so stable. Um, yeah, the atmosphere there was, you know, it was a one year. It was completely different than any than any other team I played on. You know, basically I got there. I was one of the new guys, uh, and I remember the, I remember Bobby addressing the team in spring training, and basically he said, "Guys, we're going to do what we do every year. I'm going to roll out a lineup, and you're going to go steamroll the competition." And I just kind of looked at him like, "Wow!" And that's exactly what we did. <laughs> and it seemed like we won a hundred. I think we won 104 games. Chipper won the MVP that year, had a huge year. Kevin Kevin Millwood. Uh, actually, that year is, is Kevin Millwood became our horse and, and I think won 17 or 19 games. So it was a little, little uh, it was a little different than the Maddox Smoltz Glav, and it was Millwood at the top of the rotation. I think the other guys had some injuries. I think Smoltz had a, had an injury that year and, and actually was pitching out of the pen a little bit. Um, but it was definitely a different culture. Atlanta was was a lunch pail, lunch pail. It was very businesslike. It was uh, go to the ballpark, put on your uniform, go kick somebody's butt, and then see you later and, and leave. There there wasn't much hanging out. Uh, it, like I said, it was it was just very businesslike. And I can attest that uh, the atmosphere. You're talking about atmosphere in the late '80s uh, at the Braves games were like. I don't know that I've heard term like four or five yeah, thousand. I mean, it was yeah, it yeah, was not many people yeah. until they started their domination. When they started with the tomahawk chop, and that was you know that was when I was in college, you know, watching those games and thinking, wow, one day it'd be cool to play there, and I, and I got the chance. Brad, speaking of that, who has the uh, your opinion? Who has the uh, the best fan base uh, in Major League Baseball? Um, you know, it's it's kind of tough to argue with with the East Coast sports. You know, when I when I look at just going to Boston or New York, uh, how serious they take their sports there, I think it's awesome as an athlete. Uh, tough to argue with the Cubs, you know, uh, just the way – just the way – just walking down the street and listening to people talk. You know, I live in San Diego, and it's it's very rare you go out to dinner and people are just yucking it up about, about the Padres. But you go to a steakhouse anywhere in New York, and they're talking Yankees, and, you know, mostly Yankees, but Mets. Uh if you know, depending on how the football teams are doing, that's it's just a different mentality on the East Coast. I, I think if you had to pick one though, that's that's kind of proven in modern day times, year in and year out, uh, as passionate, passionate fans, I think it's tough to argue with the with the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. Um, you know, the Seattle fans when we were winning, man, that, that was as fun as it gets. You know, we were packing the house on a Monday night, forty five, fifty thousand. And those guys going crazy. It's just they, they've had a long drought. You know, my boys have been struggling. They haven't been to the postseason in 19 years. And, Brett, I was going to ask you about 
uh, the Cardinals, we actually had, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to see him his junior season because of COVID, but Alec Burleson, he's uh, one of the best players we've ever had at East Carolina, the, obviously the school we cover, and he was drafted uh, last night with the draft, and he's actually going, that's the third Pirate that we've had from our university to actually play in the Cardinals organization now. They're all together. I'm sorry, you cut out a little bit. It was Burleson. Oh, Burleson, Burleson yeah. got drafted? Yeah, he yeah, got drafted last night. The, the compensation portion of the second round, 70th overall, he was, oh, yeah. uh, he, was a, he was a guy that was a Golden Spikes Award candidate this year. Yeah, I saw that, and, and the first thing that went through my mind, because it's really tough for me to know the, uh, you know, the current uh, college player, high school player draft. I, I wasn't up to snuff on the draft picks, but I saw Burleson. The first thing that went through my mind was was Rick Burleson, who was the shortstop for the Red Sox and, and Angels. So now now I've got some con- context to put that in. It's it's not that Burleson. It's your guys' Burleson. <laughs> Correct, sure, yeah, and, he, and he's good. At least he was really good at the college level. Hopefully, it'll transition to the next level. Yeah, that'd be that'd be very cool. You know, I, it it takes you back watching the draft last night. It's like you know, I'm watching these kids and and uh, all the work they put in over their lifetime. It's it's like yesterday the kids that got drafted had to be a pretty special day for them. I remember my day, and it's pretty cool when you're moving on to to the next level and getting on with your life. I wanted to ask you, as far as um, you were talking about the game earlier about Major League Baseball, one of the things that Commissioner Manford said a couple years ago, and I know we have other things to worry about with, right now we're worried about having a season, but he talked about um, the stadiums. Um, There was an all-star game a couple years ago. He talked about with uh, Tampa Bay and Oakland um, needing new stadiums, and then he was talking about down the line in a handful of years to have Major League Baseball expansion. Do you see that happening of having uh, two more teams in Major League Baseball? Down, he was talking about maybe closer to a decade before having to deal with the stadium, the stadium issues in Tampa Bay and the stadium issues in Oakland. Well, I think so. I, you know, I think so, and I think uh, by adding two more teams, you know, we're, we're talking right now with the with the interleague play and and with the playoffs the way it is, and they have the they have the one game playoff. I think a lot, a lot of things would be solved um, if you had two more teams. You know, it, it would, it would even out, and you could, you could have uh, the division. So, so it, I don't know. I think the two, if you add the two teams, you could have a, a different playoff system where you could have, I believe it's, would it be four divisions in each, in each league, the National League and the American League. Would that work out? I'd have to look at that. I hadn't even looked at it to that, that, that uh, you you would be able to eliminate the wild card division. It would just be straight up win the division. You oh, go against the other division. So there'd be four divisions in each league. So there's your playoff team. You win your division, that's your playoff team. Right now though with that wild card, that one I, I think it adds a lot of excitement uh to the game, having that one card wild card. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I think they should change is should be the uh, best two out of three. Yeah. You play that long, Amen you play that. That long season. You know, last year, I think the last couple of years, the team that was in that one-game playoff won, uh, you know, 90-some games. And it comes down to one game. You, yeah. you know, baseball, as you, as you guys you. know, 
you know, one night to put 97 wins on the line, it's really not fair to me. So at least make it two out of three. Yeah, your starting pitcher has a night off, has a has an uncharacteristically bad night. And there, your whole thing is blown. Yeah, without a doubt. That being said, you know, and I thought it was a little hokey when they put it in, um, but I think it adds a lot of excitement to the game. I think it adds, you know, five or six cities in the country that really down the stretch are in the hunt and have a chance. And I think it adds a lot of excitement. And and normally in 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 the past, the way it was the way it was uh, structured, you know, five or six cities after you get into September, they're out of it. But nowadays, with this format, you got these you got these cities still involved, and and uh, so I think it's been great. I just think we should change it to to two out of three instead of one. Do you think that's going to happen? I, I I've thought that since day one, and I haven't really yes. talked about it in the national media a lot. Do you, do you think that'll actually ever happen? Being the two out of three. Well, I think that, but I think if you do add the, uh, I think if you add the, the, uh, those two, ex- those, those two expansion teams, I think you can set up the divisions different. Yeah, yeah for, for me, per- for me personally, uh, we're all selfish, uh, Brett. We actually live in, uh, North Carolina. All three of us live in North Carolina. And the commissioner put three, the three cities he talked about was Montreal, Charlotte and Mexico City as the three potential, as of right now, cities that we could, they would maybe potentially like to expand to. Um, would, is there other places there are? I think Montreal, I think I've heard there, they've had a few exhibition games and they're still drawing like 40,000 people to, so I think that's a given that they'll get one. And are there places that you think deserve one that maybe are not well, even on that list? I mean, I don't think if, I don't think you can put it in the context of deserving. Uh, it's it's okay. what city can facilitate it. Um, okay. I, I think Portland's been kicked around as a as a possible city that could support a big league team. Um, yep. You know, Montreal. I I grew up in the era where I played in Montreal. I played in Montreal for ten years, and the support. You know, it doesn't matter to me what they're doing right now. The support I know when I was there for big league baseball. And I know even in that, you know, it's the, the team that stands out to me was that 94 Expos team. When, when Pedro was young and you had Marquise Grissom and you had Larry Walker in right field, they might have been the best team in baseball that year. And we'd still go to Montreal and, and uh, you could hear the guy in the third base line yelling at the guy in the first base line. So I don't think it's, I don't know if Montreal, maybe if they got a new venue, uh, but I don't know that Montreal, uh, I don't know whether they could or could not support a team. It's funny you yeah. bring up uh, Montreal and, and the Expos. Like you were saying, I remember watching games there when they were very good, but the atmosphere was just very surreal watching it on TV. The there at uh, I think it was what Olympic Stadium and um, just the acoustics and uh, so forth. It just sounded very weird. <laughs> yeah, it was different. That's a huge ballpark, and, and when you go back beyond the center field fence. Because it was it was Olympic Stadium and, and it wasn't just built for baseball. It was built, you know, when they had the Olympics there. So it, it's just engineered completely different than most of the venues were were used to. I mean, you could go on beyond that center field fence for 200 feet and, and see the the underworkings of, of that uh, facility. What's the best ballpark and the worst ballpark you played in? 
the best and worst, it, it usually comes down to where where I hit the best. I mean, that's that's usually where my favorite place. <laughs> right. But, but overall, throughout the years, uh, Yankee Stadium was always one of my favorites, just because there's something special about it, and I, I can't really explain it. You just kind of when you take the field, you know where you're at. You know, obviously the iconic stadium, Wrigley, uh, Fenway, you know, awesome places. But if I had to pick a place to play day in and day out, I'd, I'd play in Anaheim. Uh, and that stadium, man, I, I don't know what it was. You know, I went to high school in Orange County, so maybe it, 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 I was coming home. But uh, something about it, just whether, whether it's the weather, it's just the feeling when I when I got to Anaheim Stadium, I knew I was going to have a good series. So I'm going to have to go with Anaheim for the best. And, Brad, as we start to wrap it up, I got, I got a fun question for you. Do you, do you have any uh... – do you have any interesting road stories from your times uh, in the MLB or, or in the minor leagues? Just any funny road story? Do I have any funny road stories? I got a lot. I can't tell you guys any of them. <laughs> He'd have to kill uh, us. <laughs> I'd have to. Hey, player A, road player road. B. <laughs> player A, player B. No, I, you know, I really don't have, have one that's that stands out over the next, you know, I, I just have a lot of funny stories. I got stuff that, that, uh, you know, a lot of Lou Pinella stories, you know, I really love them. Oh gosh. I'll give you a road story. I'm, I'm a rookie. I'm coming up in old Arlington. This is even before the last stadium that's getting torn down now for the new stadium. And, uh, we're left. And you guys will like this because it's a, it's a Griffey story. So, uh, at that stadium, the, the visiting clubhouse was down the left field line, so it was under the left field bleachers, which is different. You had to, it was quite a walk to get from from the clubhouse to the dugout. And uh, I'm locker in near Junior, and I see Junior when I leave. He's DH in a particular day. I'm a rookie, so I'm just trying. You know, I'm out there stretching 20 minutes before, and. Uh, I see Kenny, and he's, and he's watching cartoons in his locker, and he falls asleep. I go down to stretch, and I remember right before the game, Lou says, he calls me son. He calls everybody son. He said, son, where's your buddy, Junior? I said, Skip, I don't know. I left him. He was watching cartoons. He goes, well, he's up third, and, and the game's about to start. Did you go find him? You know, I'm hitting six or seven. I don't remember. Um, so I go running up. You know, I'm the, I'm the young, new kid on the block. I said, all right, Skip, whatever you need. I head back in the clubhouse. He's still sleeping. I wake him up, and you know that that feeling you get when you slept through your alarm and you have to be somewhere? Well, I saw that look in his eyes. He took off running to the, to the dugout. Lou's going crazy, and Junior just quietly puts his helmet on, walks in the on-deck circle, doesn't tie his shoes, walks to the plate. Lou's screaming at him. It's the first pitch in the seat comes around, looks at Lou, puts his helmet down and said, Skip, can I go back to doing what I was doing? He said, Junior, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. And then he went back to bottom. There's your road story to finish off the set. Hey, uh, by the way, before we let you go, I just got a text from, we were telling you this other night, Stephen Igo from VoiceForColors.net, a kid from Greenville, North Carolina, a huge Mariners fan, uh, which is not that anything's wrong with being a Mariners fan, just why, you know, like, how is that possible? But he just texted me right now and said that you're one of his all-time favorites. So I want to give you a shout-out to him. It's Steve and I go from 
Stephen Igo from VoiceToColors.net. We were telling you about him the other night. He's a Mariners fan from Greenville, North Carolina. Uh, we right. cover East Carolina together, and I just texted him, and he texted me back that you're one of his all-time favorites uh, being a Mariners well, fan. So. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I want to sit along with some minutes. Thank you so much for coming on. It means a lot. And we'd love to have you back on when uh, baseball season hits. Uh, hopefully that'll be uh, very sooner than later. And love to have you back on to get your reaction. You got it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for his patience. Appreciate him coming on because it was uh, a great thing to have uh, him on, like you said, Bubba, with all the stuff that's going on uh, with Major League Baseball. And he was uh, a real gentleman. Appreciate him very much. And I know Steve and I, our friend, will uh, I know he's going to listen to that interview uh, for sure. We uh, Before we go, guys, I know that uh, we've got our season ticket promotion. We call it the season ticket sweepstakes. And, Bubba, uh, tell folks about that. Yeah, you, you can put your name in the hat as many as four times. Um, just follow us on Twitter at TheSportsOBJ. We have a pinned tweet uh, outlining the details of the contest and uh, telling you all the ways that you can put your name in the hat. Um, so the first way is just simply following on Twitter, at OBJ, retweeting, liking. Uh, on Facebook, just search the Sports Objective, go to our page, and then uh, like and follow, share the pin post there. Um, also, if you listen on TuneIn Radio, Audio Boom, wherever you listen, just make sure that you um, – that you like us, that you have subscribed, and then screenshot that you have subscribed, and then post that as a response or comment on Twitter or Facebook. And then last but not least, on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and then do the same thing. Um, screenshot that proof, and your name will be in the hat four ways if you do all those things. Sounds good. And I know that, Bubba, we've got a lot of uh, programming coming up uh, in the next week or so. Yeah, we do. On Monday night, um, we'll catch up with longtime college football coach and then also ESPN analyst Bill Curry. Uh, so look forward to having Coach Curry back on the show. Uh, last time we talked to him was back in the summer of 2018. On the second part of that show, we'll catch up with a fellow pirate. Um, this guy, he's the deputy AD down at Winthrop. Uh, he has a degree from East Carolina, but then also an Elon Law degree. Hank Harewood will be on the program to talk about how this has impacted uh, everything with the inner workings of college athletics and um, the athletes returning to campus there in Rock Hill. And uh, hopefully that will be, a, or I know it will be, a very interesting conversation with Hank. Uh, later in the week, uh, we will catch up with um, also uh, Charles Arbuckle. He played tight end for UCLA back in the, the mid to late 80s and then also spent four or five seasons on NFL rosters and um, has been an analyst for, I don't know, at least probably the last 15 or 20 years, if not more, for Fox Sports and different networks. And uh, I think he's actually living in the greater Charlotte area now. So we'll catch up with him. That's on Thursday at 7. And then the second half of that program on Facebook Live and YouTube, it will be uh, David Glenn, of course. He's no no stranger to sports talk radio in the state of North Carolina. Um, unfortunately, his show was removed from the air um, but uh, he will catch up with us, and we'll see what's going on in DG's world and talk some sports with him. Yeah, He's been running. Is there any chance, you know, we got Charles Arbuckle. Is there any chance we're going to get John Arbuckle? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But that'll be a game-time decision for sure. Do you guys have any parting thoughts before we go? 
Uh, no, I'm just um, everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything sucks nowadays, and uh, uh, just uh, everybody stay safe and stay sane. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, what about you, Bubba? No, just if you haven't bought your season tickets yet, um, we we're past that goal. But let's not settle for let's not settle for a little over ten thousand. Let's sell as many as we can sell, and who knows? Maybe we can maybe we could still reach sixteen. Days. <laughs> That's probably not likely at this point, but maybe we can at least uh, get to that 14, 14 and a half thousand mark that we were last year. Good, man. What a fun. And uh, certainly, let's see if we can get that, that goal. Let's see if we can beat last year. That will be really cool. All things considered, that will be a huge accomplishment. 1 800 ECU during business hours, Monday through Friday, or anytime at ecupirates.com. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks to Mick Mixon, voice of the Panthers, and of course to Brett Boom, of course the former Major League Baseball player. Appreciate him very much. Look forward to seeing you guys again on Monday. In the meantime, I'm Dave Richmond, and you've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. You've been listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Join us next time as the guys will be objective, and the objective is sports.